Welcome to Karura's Weekly Podcast. Our hope is that your spiritual life will be fruitful as we go through our new series, 40 Days of Prayer. We start in 3, 2, 1. Today we are looking at praying for forgiveness, healing, and restoration. And our passage is from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, which says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. It had been a glorious season in the land of Israel. David had conquered all the surrounding nations and now his son Solomon was the king. And David had told Solomon to build this temple where God could meet his people, where they could come and sacrifice and God could then meet with his people in that place. And on this day, Solomon had completed the building of the temple. It had been an exciting day. King Solomon having come to the fulfillment of this glorious dream, the completion of the temple. And all the people of the nations have assembled for this magnificent time of dedication of the temple. Solomon has this special platform made where he stands on it and to talk to the people of God about God and the faithfulness of God. And then he knelt on that platform and lifted up his hands towards God and talked to God about the people. And as Solomon finished this prayer, God demonstrated his acceptance of the new house of worship by sending down fire from heaven and consuming the sacrifice that was upon the altar And then he filled the temple with his presence and with his glory. And the people were excited. It was a glorious, splendid occasion. Then evening comes. And people go to their separate places. And Solomon comes to that place where he's alone in his house. No longer surrounded by the crowds, the trumpets, no longer blasting and the choirs, no longer singing. Solomon is all alone with God in his house, in his bedroom. Because you see, God always manifests himself when God's people gather like he did in this temple. But he also manifests himself to us in our quietness, when we are silent, in our places, when we are in our cars, when we are in our buses, when we are in our bedroom, when we are at work. He does manifest himself to us. And that is why many times when God has spoken to you, even here, we give you an invitation to respond to the Lord. Some of you don't, but we don't usually worry about that. Because we know even in your bedroom, the Lord is going to minister to you. Wherever you are, God is able to minister to you. And so on that night, Solomon all alone at that particular hour, God came to him and he began to speak to him. And, and the Bible in Second Chronicles from chapter 7, it says, The Lord appeared to him from verse 13. Chapter 7 verse 13 says, The Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer. And I've chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrate this temple so that, my na- so that my name may be there forever. 
my eyes and my heart will always be there. You realize in this passage, God gives four conditions. It is a conditional promise. The Israelites were to meet these conditions. If the Israelites were to meet these conditions, then God would honor the promise of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 4. It is a conditional statement. An if-then statement. If you do this, then the outcome results are this. If you do A, B, C, then you meet these conditions, then I, God, will do X, Y, Z. If you do A, B and miss out C, then I will not do X, Y, Z. So the Israelites could not miss out on the humility part. They could not miss out on the prayer part. They could not miss out on the seeking his face part. And they could not miss out on the repentance or turning away from their wickedness part for God to fulfill what he had promised to do. Remember this time Israel is living at peace. They are enjoying everything. Everything is quite well. And God had gotten into a covenant with the people of the Old Testament and told them that if you obey my laws, this is what I will do. And so God is reiterating that as he opens up this temple. The promise is premised on all the four issues. If you humble yourself, if you pray, if you seek my face and if you repent, then I will hear you from heaven and then I will forgive your sins and then I will heal your land. The conditions you realize here are progressive. You see, you cannot offer genuine, sincere prayers if you're not humble. And we cannot seek God's face if we are not praying. And we will, we will turn from our wicked ways if we are not seeking the face of God. And so these are the four conditions that we have here. Number one, if we humble ourselves and ask God forgiveness. He says, if my people humble themselves, what is humility? Humility has to do with that subduing one's pride and submitting to God's will. Pride is when we think that we don't need God or even we don't need others. There are things are when things are going on all right and I can handle this. I've got it. I know how to do it. It, it, it is basically arrogance and independence from God of a false sense of self-sufficiency. Yesterday I was talking to a good friend of mine and, and, and she reminded me that I had talked to her badly several, 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 I think it was several weeks or several months ago. I know the men who are here understand when you're talking to ladies, they may remind you something you've even forgotten. So she just reminded me that. And you know, when she said that, my heart, I just puffed up inside. And I wanted to just put her down because one, I couldn't remember what, when I ever said that. And I know I was right when I said it. And... And I, I just wanted to dismantle her and put her in her place. And then the Lord reminded me that that was pride. Because whatever it was, she got hurt. And whether I was right or wrong, I had hurt her. And I had to keep quiet and apologize. I am still learning humility. Humility here in this passage is saying, God is God and I am not. Because humility includes the understanding that we are totally dependent on God. It's a bit like John chapter 15, verse 5 to 6, when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I, remain, and, 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 and I in you, you will, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
And if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and with us. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burn. Is that realization that I cannot do anything of myself? I am nothing of myself. You know, there's a way in which we ought to feel, apart from the Lord, we can do nothing. Apart from the Lord, we are nothing. Humility is really not thinking less of ourselves, but it is thinking of ourselves less and understanding that God is the central part of our lives. And so we cannot approach God arrogantly, proudly. God is not a genie who we can just command and demand things from him. Prayer is that admission of our weaknesses and our need for God. And so humility is when we come to God and we confess our sins to God the moment we realize that we have sinned. It's not the moment we puff up and want to defend ourselves and want to sound ourselves right or even to show off to other people that we don't sin. We don't wait until the end of the week to have a, this pile of garbage and say, Lord, I, I've got to take this garbage out now. It's been a week. No, no, no. We do it the moment we realize that we have done something wrong and say, God, I am sorry. And when we humble ourselves, God will forgive our sins and guide and teach us his ways. Because as he says in Psalm 25, verse 8 to 5, God is good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his ways. It is when we are humble that God is able to guide us, to teach us, to instruct us. And so the humbler we are, the more God will guide us. And the, and the more God guides us, the fewer mistakes we make in our lives. And that is to our benefit. And when we are humble, God will bless us. Because he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, the first part, he says God blesses those who are humble. But not only that, when we are humble, God will be gracious to us. The scripture says in James chapter 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The humbler we are, the more grace God gives us. The more prideful we are, the more on the opposite side we are. And we are not going to lose that battle because our arms are, not, are too short to box with God. God opposes the proud. Every time I'm prideful, I'm on the opposite side of God. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. Because every time I am opposing God, I lose. But every time I'm humble, God gives me the grace that I need. But also when we are humble, it just relieves us of our stress. Because the Bible says that Jesus humbled himself to death. He understood that he had to, be, to do the will of God. So in humility, he came down. And so in, when we begin to, to, to take on the, 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 the attitude of Jesus and understand that it is God's will that has to be done, then even that which stresses us begins to be less. And that is why I think in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, 29 to 30, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And know the world cheats us that if we, are like, if we take on the yoke of Christ, if we follow Christ, we are just going to suffer, we are going to lose out. But he says that is the way to go, taking on his attitude. The second thing about this that the verse told us is if my people will pray this is second chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 if we humble ourselves and pray god will always listen to us from heaven jeremiah chapter 29 verse 12 says this then you will call on me and come and pray to me and i will listen to you 
Remember, Jesus wants us to pray. He wants us to ask. He wants us to talk to him. Why does God want us to ask stuff in prayer? Why does he want us to do that? The reason is God wants us to ask stuff in prayer. It's because we are going to learn to trust him. It is a bit like a parent and a child. How does a child learn to trust a parent? The child has this need and the child expresses the need, usually through crying most of the time when they are very young. Then the parent hears the need and feeds the child or meets the need of the child, changes the child. The child that way begins to learn to trust the parent. And that is how it happens when it happens thousands and thousands of times as a child grows up. And this is how a child learns to trust a parent. I have a need. I admit a need. I express the need. The parent hears the need. The parent meets the needs. And what is that happens? Trust. It's repeated all over again. And it's the same thing is true with our Heavenly Father. If you're not asking God for anything, if you're not learning how to trust Him, if you're not asking for Him for anything, you, then, then it be, you, 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 you grow not to trust Him because you don't learn it over and over again. God, I need this. God, I, not, I need that. You learn to trust. The third thing in this verse, or the third premise, is if we humble ourselves and seek God, he will help us. If my people will seek my face, Jeremiah chapter 29 from verse 13 to 14, which was part of our memory verse, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. Seeking his face. It means I want to know God. I am seeking you. I want to know you, God. The word face here in the Hebrew word that sometimes brought up is his presence. I want, to see the, I want to see God face to face, to be with him, to know him better. And the word in most cases is used in desperate situations where God is the only hope. I want to know what does God think about this? What is God saying about this? I want to look in his face. This seeking his face is not some casual pastime. This is not like I'm going to seek you in my spare time. I'll seek you after I've finished with all my social media stuff or I'll seek you after I've finished with all my other priorities. It's not a low priority. He says you will seek his face. No, this is a serious pursuit. We are to earnestly seek him. It is the primary, it has to be the primary focus of our life, seeking him. God, I have to know you because God has made me to know him. That's why he's created me, that I may know him. And so he wants us to seek him honestly. What does God want you want from me and from you? He wants us to know him. In Psalm 114 verse 2 it says, The Lord, the Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race and he looks to see if there is, there is even one with, with real understanding who seeks for God. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 17 says, I love those who love me and those who, who seek me find me. God loves it when we seek him. God is looking to see who is sick because many people are seeking after their own things. Very few people are seeking after God. And so the verse continues to say this. If my people turn from their wicked ways, this is the fourth one. If we humble ourselves and turn from our wicked ways, God will restore us to himself. And heal our land. This is what the scriptures say. This is long before Solomon. Speaking from Deuteronomy. 
If you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing his anger, I will call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you this day, that you will quickly perish from the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or smell. This is when people of God begin to seek other gods other than Yahweh, other than making him the first. He says they will lose direction. And then he goes on to say in verse 29 of Deuteronomy, but if from there, where he has sent them, where he has destroyed them, where they have gone into captivity, if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in distress and these things have happened to you, then in latter days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by an oath. The word turn and the word wicked here, this is the fourth, being the fourth premise. Wickedness here is forgetting God. Turning to anything else or even to myself other than God. That, in this context, is viewed as wickedness. And it prevents us from growing to be who we should be. Because we turn away from our, our lifeline, the source of our life. Anytime I forget God, that's wicked. Because we were men, the way God made us was to, made us in such a way that we are to be in fellowship with God. And when society forgets God, society begins to do all kinds of wicked stuff. Because the whole issue here really is forgetting about God. And that's why Isaiah chapter 17 verse 10 says, You have forgotten me. You have forgotten the God who saves you. And have, remember, and have not remembered that God is the place of your safety. In other words, if you find your safety in anything else, if you find your identity in anything else, you are on the path of wickedness. What is your safety today? God says, I am the place of your safety. Some of us may be thinking, my place of safety is my bank account. Some of you may be thinking that my, my place of safety is my boyfriend or my husband or my wife. Or, some, or something else, whatever it is. But God says, I am your safety. Now about turn. He says, turn from forgetting about God. Turn, that word means you, 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 you literally return. It is repent. You don't just turn away from the bad stuff. You turn to God. Repentance, you see, is not a negative term. Repentance is the most positive term in history. When I repent, I turn from guilt to forgiveness. That is a good deal. When I repent, I turn from darkness to light. I turn from no purpose to purpose. I turn from help, hopelessness, from despair to hope and eternity. I turn from bitterness to love. You heard from that testimony of that young man in Plugin. Saying about the turning from bitterness of his father. Turning to God and learning how to love. It is the most positive change in anyone's life. From meaningless to meaning to meaningfulness. From a life that is shallow to a life that is significant. That is repentance. It's the most positive change you can take. To turn away from hell to heaven. From Satan to God. From no love to the love of God the Father. It will never end. 
Repentance is going away from other gods and going towards God. And I think that's why Peter speaking in Acts chapter 3 verse 19, when he's speaking to these people, he says, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Prayer is not just uh, about asking God to come and, and fulfill our will and our agenda. It is about us fulfilling his will and his agenda. And I think that's why Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And John, writing about this in 1 John chapter 5 verse 14 to 15 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask him anything according to his will, he'll hear us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what he has asked us of. Because we are in his will. We are desiring to do his will. We are seeking his face. And when we do that, then these three promises come true. God says, I will hear from heaven. And then he says, I will forgive your sins. And I will heal your land. And I think that is why that memory verse that was shared to us by Carol in advance is what we need to learn this week. And I trust maybe many of you have learned in advance. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. Let us say that verse together. Jeremiah 29, 13. All right, let's say it now with more confidence. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me. Uh, 29, 13. It's not a casual seeking. It's with all our heart. You know, Solomon, in Second Chronicles chapter 17, chapter 7 from verse 17 to 22, it says, as for you, God speaking to Solomon, it says, as for you, if you walk before me faithfully as David your father did, and do all the commands and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. But then he warns him from verse 19. He says, but if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them, and will reject the temple I have construct, consecrated for my name, and I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among the people. This temple will become a heap of rubble, all who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer because they have forsaken the Lord, their God, of their, the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why he brought all this disaster upon them. You see, this is God talking about his own temple. In the New Testament, this was the Old Testament where God made his people. In the New Testament, he says our bodies are the temples of our God. Because God wants to come in and dwell in with us. And as we look at this story of, of Solomon in a broader light of history, Israel was a good, at a good place. They were peaceful all around it and prosperous. And King Solomon must have thought that night in his heart as God spoke to him on that very momentous night. As God was speaking to him. Solomon must have thought, there is no way I will ever forsake you, God. There is no God like you in all the earth. 
Today, this day, I saw your fire consume the sacrifice in the temple when I consecrated it. I saw your glory fill the temple. Lord, there's no way I would ever, ever turn from you. Lord, I'll serve you to my dying day, he must have thought in his heart. And he said, I'll praise you and be faithful to you and to you alone. Unfortunately, Solomon failed to keep the covenant, a conditional covenant. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 16 to 20, God speaking to his people before they entered the promised land and foreseeing how they were going to live, he told them that the king, moreover, must, talking about when they will demand for a king, the king, moreover, must not acquire a great number of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt or to get more of of them. For the Lord has said, you are not to go back to that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of the kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priest. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of the law and decrees. And not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over the kingdom of Israel. But first king chapter 10 verse 26 to 29. We are told that Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1400 chariots and, and 12,000 horses. Which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. I wonder how many times you can use 1400,000 chariots and horses. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedars, plentiful and sycamore. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt where God had said they should never go back to. His first wife was from Egypt. They imported a chariot. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150, whatever that amount was. It was a lot. First Kings chapter 11, verse 8 said, Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughters, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites, and other people say Tamites. They were from all nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must ever intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts away from their God. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to, fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal path, 300 concubines and his wife led him astray as solomon grew old his wife turned his hearts away from other after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the to his god as the as the heart of david his father had been he followed ashtrite the gods of sidonians and molechites and the detestable gods of the ammonite so solomon did evil in the eyes of the lord he did not follow the lord completely as david his father had And it is said that on the east hill of Jerusalem, Solomon built high places for Chemosh, the detestable gods of Moab. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel. Having started out so well, how could he deteriorate so far that he ultimately built pagan temples and went and worshipped such gods? How could it be a man who had such a background with a godly father? A man who had experienced the power of God and seen the glory of God. How could he in such a time be drawn away from the worshipping of God and worshipping other gods and forsaking the commandments of God? 
But as it is with Solomon, so it was with the history of the whole nation of Israel. They had started off well with a commitment to God. They had started out with the promises to be faithful to God. How could they as a nation who had begun so well turn away from the true living God? God lamenting over Israel says, where is the love that you had for me when I first drew you to myself in the desert? So as with the nation of Israel, so was it with the church. The apostle Paul writing to the church of Galatians in chapter 1 verse 6 says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. In chapter 3 he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you had? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? The church here was born in a sovereign work of the spirit of God and the church was flourishing and it grew. And then as they grew strong, they began to be prosperous. And then they began to turn to the methods and the ways of men. And they were going to perfect the church with methodology of men rather than continuing in the trust of the spirit. And Jesus himself addressing himself to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation chapter 2 from verse 4 to 5. He says, yet I have this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and I'll remove your lampstand from its place. Remember how all you could think about was how to serve the Lord before COVID came and your business collapsed before you lost that job or before your finances went down? How you long to come to church, to be in good time, to be in fellowship, to go to that CLG, the community life group. But now you've left your first love because of the vicissitudes of life. You see, Solomon had every reason and incentive to continue walking in, in, the, way, in the ways of the Lord. God had told him, I'll bless you. God had told him all these things. But he had also warned him of the calamities that would befall him if he turned away. You know, today I'm not picking stones to throw at Solomon. Because I can see these very same tendencies in my own life and around me. I know that God has established this beautiful covenant. Through Jesus Christ. Jesus says this is the new covenant in my blood. Which is shared for the remissions of sin. And in this covenant God has promised to give us. And to, to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all our sins. And, and unrighteousness. And in this covenant he has promised us eternal life. In the glory of his kingdom. But this promise is predicated upon. My believing in Jesus Christ. And submission to him as my Lord and Savior. And the lordship of Jesus Christ, which means the surrender to his will and to his ways, which involve the denying of myself and the taking of the cross to follow him. And I know in my heart I struggle to be able to do that. I want to do it my own way. I want to be the God of my own destiny. As was with the church of Galatians, there may be some here who had started off well. They started in the spirit, but somehow in the ensuing years, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things have choked out their lives and they are no longer fruitful for the Lord. It is a sort of an empty shell. Yes, you may be seated here listening to me online, but you know inside it's an empty shell. Yes, you're still around, but the love that you once experienced, the first love is no longer there. The attendance is out of duty rather than desire. 
or just to bring children to Sunday school. But there is nothing. The spirit is no longer with you. There is that failure of human beings. Even as Solomon failed in all this. And yet you see the faithfulness of God. So long as Solomon remained true to God, God kept his word and promises were faithful and he kept his covenant to men. And when men failed to keep the covenant, God was faithful in keeping his word still. Though now it was in the word of judgment. God will be faithful to keep his word. He will keep his word of blessing, but he's also keep his word of judgment. And so when you look at the history of what happened to the nation of Israel, in the, among the, in the hands of the Assyrians, in the hands of the Babylonians, the very same people of God, that temple was destroyed. People don't even know where it is. Because the faithfulness of God can be the greatest blessing to us today in all the world if we keep his word. But it can also be and should be a terror to us if we are not keeping his word. Because God is faithful. He's going to keep his word. And God kept his word and the temple was destroyed. And the people became a byword, a curse, a proverb among the nations. And that is why God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins. And I will heal their land. If we don't realize where we are, if we don't realize our work, if we don't keep humbling ourselves before the Lord, we don't keep praying, if we don't keep seeking his face, we don't keep turning away from our wicked ways, we end up like King Solomon. Are we turned towards God today or are we turned towards our own agendas? And even as you leave this sanctuary today, and even those of you who are listening to me online, where are you? Are you serving the gods of pleasure and corruption? That are increasingly becoming the dominant gods of our society. Because time has come for us as people of God to seek the leading of his spirit. And as the worship team comes up to lead us in our closing song. And, and, and getting ready to just come and close for us. I want to ask those of you who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Having offered us this new covenant. Don't ever assume that you're safe. Because God will keep his promise. To those who receive this covenant, you'll have new life. And to those who don't, you'll receive condemnation. May today be a day of humbling, a day of praying, a day of seeking, and a day of turning away from wickedness. Has this message challenged you? We hope that it has been a blessing in your life. If you would like to give your life to Christ, or talk to, or pray with someone, kindly reach us on WhatsApp 0721 990 880. God bless you.